As far as first-time buyers, I would say sort of get the wheels turning, get the process started, talk to a loan officer, figure out you know, if there's anything questionable on your credit that we can get removed a year ahead of time um, that can improve your score and potentially help you get down payment assistance um, because that's a big thing that a lot of first-time buyers want. You found the Real Estate Law Podcast because real estate is more than just pretty pictures and law goes well beyond the paperwork and courtroom arguments. If you're a real estate professional or looking to build real estate expertise, then welcome to the conversation and discover more at realestatelawpodcast.com. Welcome to the Real Estate Law Podcast. My name is Jason Muth and we're here with attorney broker, Rory Gill from Next Home Title Town Real Estate and Urban Village Legal in Boston. Hello, Rory. Hey, Jason. Excellent. We're also here with Eric Safarian, who is a loan officer with the Bank of England. And when we first started chatting, you mentioned you worked with Bank of England. You know, here I'm thinking you're over here from London or something and, you know, looking for people to cross the pond and go buy real estate, but you'll have to get into the whole you know, Bank of England brand here in North America. But Eric's got a great story. He was once a, a leasing manager for a large apartment complex and a large commercial uh, property owner in the United States. Uh, and he pivoted over into becoming a loan officer. So he's worked with all different types of buyers. Uh, he's seen a ton of transactions. I thought it might be fun to kind of learn more about his story today, learn how he made that transition and why. And find out a little bit about buyer personas and the types of people he's working with. Because I know that a lot of people who listen to this podcast, you know, out there listening to lots of real estate podcasts, maybe you're looking for your first deal or your hundredth deal or somewhere in between. And, you know, when I listen to podcasts, I, I tend to find people I could relate to. And I think that, you know, that might be an interesting point of discussion today where we could bring some of Eric's experience into, into this discussion and see if it's something that you, the listener, could relate to directly. So Eric, welcome. Yes, definitely. Thanks for having me on here today, guys. So tell us about yourself, like where you're from, you know, where, where you are right now, you know, how long you've been doing this. Uh, and just give us some framework on your, your work here in the real estate world. Yeah, so um, I'm from Reading, Mass. originally. I grew up in this area. I've lived here my whole life. And I went to BC, I was class of 2019. And since that time, I've been in real estate. My first job after graduation was leasing manager, as you mentioned. So that was my first experience with the real estate industry. So in that role, I was sort of a mini real estate agent. I was showing the units. I was, you know, providing customer service for the tenants. And then sort of during the, I guess, the height of the pandemic, I reflected a lot, like things slowed down at the leasing property. And I sort of switched gears and started doing mortgage. And I've been there since August of 2020. Was it a good switch for you in your mind? It really was. Yeah. This job has allowed me to sort of, you know, continue to grow my career and, you know, learn new things every day and, you know, stay aggressive with, you know, growing. Right. So you graduated into a pandemic, essentially. You know, this is uh, it's a super interesting time for you to graduate. Rory graduated law school into a recession. So, you know, we all have that. That was a great time. I'm sure this is a little bit different. Yes. Yeah. I say it, it was a busting in disguise because like I said, I, I kind of paused, you know, thought about what I really wanted to be doing and used that time to switch gears. Yeah. Switch from school, but also switch like kind of what your initial plan was. Was it real estate? Like when you were in college, like were you thinking this is the direction you were going to take your career? 
Not necessarily. So I, I was a psychology major. Um, mm-hmm. And so I was sort of thinking, you know, I'd try to be like a clinician, work in mental health, something like that. But I ended up, you know, being more interested in like the economics courses, personal finance, that sort of thing, and sort of made the decision to go that route. I talked to so many alumni from my university and other people, you know, I try not to just like espouse my knowledge when people don't ask, but like what you graduate with your degree, it does not have to be what you do. I mean, I have a biology yep. degree, right? And I, I was going to go to vet school and didn't ended up working in the media for God, 25, 30 years, including my time in, in college. And then we do, you know, real estate on the side and Rory's heavily invested in real estate. So it's, it's a big interest for us, but do they teach real estate in college these days? So at BC, there's some emphasis on like sort of venture capital and, you know, investing and that sort of thing. I wouldn't say it's very mainstream. I think you have to seek it out. So that's kind of what I did post-graduation. Rory, what was your experience at BU? Did they have like real estate and kind of actual practical economics classes? Not necessarily. I suppose, I mean, in college, I was an international relations major. So that's obviously not at all what I'm doing. In fact, I'm probably working in the most local industry there is, um, real estate. But, you know, when I think about that, in, no, there was no necessarily entrepreneurial education that I was exposed to in the College of Arts and Sciences. Um, but I think more interestingly, in law school, that was not a focus at all. And I, I will give law schools credit in the past so many years since the recession, they've done a much better job at incorporating law practice management and entrepreneurial courses as part of the curriculum, or at least making them available to students. But that was very much not the case when I was in law school. In fact, it was something that was tacitly discouraged, you know, by some by some administrators. Everything was, you know, you were directed to go work in public service or go work for a large firm. And there wasn't too much imagination um, outside of that. Mm-hmm. I mentioned BU earlier, but I should say you went to Northeastern for law school, BU for undergrad. So we're represented by a lot of the big schools here, BC, BU, Northeastern. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm a Brown guy, so I'm down in Rhode Island, unfortunately, not a, not a mass college. But you know, your psychology degree, that's interesting. Or that if, if you were thinking about work, becoming a clinician, you know, how much of what you're doing now do you indirectly attribute to you know, what you learned in school in dealing with folks from a psychology level? Yeah, um, I joke when people ask me that. I say you have to be a mind reader to do mortgages. But, you know, I think it is absolutely, you know, all related that you have to, you know, figure out what people's goals are and and how to help them reach those goals. And, you know, as far as overcoming people's objections and working through them, you know, it does relate to the psychology background. That's a lot of the sales background, too, is is finding Mm -hmm. what the real sticking point is with somebody and then trying to overcome that. I mean, truthfully, overcome it. But you know, sometimes somebody just doesn't want to make a move for an irrational reason. And then if you can uncover that, you can, you know, come to a solution that will get them to move forward with whatever they're looking to do. Definitely. So as a leasing manager, let, let's, can we start with that really quickly? Because it sounds like, is, is that like a good kind of first job for a lot of people, like coming out of school, becoming a leasing manager for a large apartment complex? What were your peers like? Were there a lot of them, you know, about your age or had people been doing this for 10, 20, 30 years? I would say a lot of sort of the people who were alongside me were also recent graduates. It was a good experience as far as customer service. I think that can be applied to basically any industry you continue on with. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it was an interesting experience as far as real estate, just because, you know, you're seeing the potential issues that can come up with the apartment units themselves. And you were with a upscale apartment complex, right? I mean, I don't know the exact one, but would, would you consider it to be, I mean, nice places? 
Yes, uh, I was definitely at a nice um, apartment complex. It was Winfield Common. Mm-hmm. It's right off Route One, and they say they're luxury. They're they're pretty nice. They're like two thousand <laughs> for a one bedroom. So yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, 2000 for one bedroom in many markets around the U.S. is, you know, definitely luxury. Here in Boston, you know, it's expected, right? Yeah. What is the difference with some of the people that might go in there and want to spend $2,000 on a lease for an apartment versus folks that you're working with for a mortgage now? Maybe first-time buyers because, you know, I remember my, my very first place, you know, my mortgage payment was, I think it was probably about $2,000 as well back in 2003, when I had a three hundred and something thousand dollar mortgage, you know, people are probably still taking mortgages out of that size for their first place, and the payments are probably around two thousand dollars, give or take a couple hundred bucks, depending on taxes and whatnot. What's the difference? Like, why would somebody go into an apartment complex and lease versus come to you and look for a loan for their first place? Like, how, how do you see the difference with those customers? Yeah, um, so a lot of the people, you know, who are renting, they might not have their feet set, so to speak. There, you know might be relatively newer in their career, um, might not be able to show the income to qualify for financing necessarily. And, you know, uh, regarding the mortgage, it's sort of a more, you know, in people's minds, a finalizing move that you're fixed, you're stuck to the property. Um, So, you know, the general reasons that somebody would rent. Also, the Linfield schools are really good. So people, you know, families like that. So let's talk about your transition over into the mortgage world. And, and why did, so Bank of England, tell us about Bank mm-hmm. of England. Like Rory, do you know much about them or have you worked with them at all with any of your closings? I've never worked with them. In fact, I thought he was an international economist when, um, when we first met. <laughs> Maybe yeah. he is. I, I'm not. So Bank of England is headquartered in England, Arkansas. Uh, it's just north of Little Rock, 100% American company. And the loan officer's, like myself, are licensed in all 50 states, um, and the bank has been around since 1896. So it's stable and, you know, a fully American bank. Bank of England is based in Arkansas? Like, I literally had no idea. I should have done my homework. England, Arkansas. Isn't that like up in Maine, like up near Sebago, there's what, like Poland? And- like Poland, Maine. <laughs> <There you Yeah>. <laughs> <go>. <laughs> have you been to the mothership or the headquarters? I have not. No, you know, someday I'll, I'll make it out there, I guess. Once I really um, make it as a loan officer. So Bank of England has a, has a presence here in Massachusetts. You're saying all states, but here in Mass, they definitely, you're sitting in the office right now. Yep. On Portland Street, downtown. I'm right next to the Harp, if you know where that is, North Station. Yep. Yeah. And, you know, most of my network are, are right here in Boston, but I've also done deals in Florida, a deal in Illinois. Yeah. Are you licensed for all 50 states? Yep. Yeah. Now, do you think that the name Bank of England is, uh, I mean, obviously it's been around for a long time, but do you come into challenges at all with people that think that they're working with a bank from London? Yeah. I mean, that's certainly something I hear, you know, in my opinion, it's more like the people I meet face to face who I tend to work with. So they know me, they don't have to know Bank of England, you know, because, because I connect with them. Yeah, they're getting a loan with you as the officer. I just think of, you know, the Queen and Buckingham Palace. <laughs> I'm going down this road too. So, you know, Rory, you and I were talking earlier about the types of buyers that you work with on the first time. And I, I bet you that you and Eric probably have a lot in common with what you see with first-time buyers, just from different angles. I mean, Rory sees it from as an agent or broker, if he's working with them, you know, on the real estate side, or 
as an attorney if he's working with them on the closing? Yeah, so I definitely want to pick Eric's brain on working with a couple of different clients that we have, but you know, first-time homebuyers in particular, I know sometimes if they come to me, even when they're not ready to buy just yet, that's optimal because that's when you can start giving them good advice so that they can actually make themselves better home buyers, better borrowers, so that when they're ready, even if it's a year or two from now, they're ready to strike. Um, but that's why I'm particularly interested in asking Eric about what advice he'd give to you know, a pretty common demographic we see, first-time home buyers, especially those with little or no down payment. What's some of the, the advice that, that you give to, to people in that situation? Yeah, definitely. Um, and that's a group I work with a lot. So as far as first-time buyers, I would say sort of get the wheels turning, get the process started, talk to a loan officer, figure out, you know, if there's anything questionable on your credit that we can get removed a year ahead of time. Um, that can improve your score and potentially help you get down payment assistance um, because that's a big thing that a lot of first-time buyers want. So with the um, first-time home buyers, do you generally advise them to you know, wait and save up some more money for a down payment or to do everything that they can to um, accelerate their home buying and, and purchase now? You know, I guess it would depend on their, their personal goals. I mean, if they can wait, you know, if they're able to be patient, I think you know, that can only help serve them to be better borrowers um, and make everything as smooth as possible. What types of um, credit scores are you finding first-time buyers having these days or the people that are qualifying for loans? Yeah. So as far as, you know, an FHA deal, which is flexible on credit, um, the score that I like to see is 640. That gives me some, some flexibility. Okay. But obviously the, the higher the score, the better the rates, especially if you're working on like kind of a conventional 15, 30 year loan. Yep, definitely. Right. And then are there like, are there score numbers that like your eyes like open up when you see them come back? You're like, oh my God, this is a perfect person. Yeah, definitely. Like if you're, you know, really 740 and above, then world's your oyster as far as credit. If you have good income. You're a hot lead. Yeah. Speaking of leads, where do you get your leads from? Or, or how do you find your customers? Yeah, so both from networking, sort of doing the networking events like the one I ran into you guys at, as well as doing social media, working with um, leads that the bank provides every once in a while, um, just mm-hmm. cold leads, and yeah, my own personal network. Yeah, I should say we met, uh, Rory and I met Eric a couple weeks ago at a networking event that we host here in Boston called Network to Grow Your Net Worth. Uh, we had a couple events in South Boston this year, and now we're back to a mask mandate here in Boston. So hopefully by the time this, this airs, that might be gone, but uh, we'll see. I mean, the world's changed all the time. Has COVID affected? I mean, you don't know the pre-COVID world as a loan officer, but like how has COVID affected your day-to-day operations? Um, yeah, so like when I first came on board, you know, the, the effect of COVID on rates was, was very significant. So we were pretty slammed with refinances um, right when I came on board. So it was definitely an interesting time to be in the mortgage industry. Rory can attest to that. Everything came off. Everything that was in the pipeline completely fell off. And when COVID first happened, there were lots of problems with the warehouse lenders, but then it all came roaring back with the low rates over the summertime. You know, even after a few years of really just busy refinance business, it was the busiest season I've ever seen. So again, going back to some of the buyer personas that you're working with, what, what are some... Like the ideal customer, obviously, good credit score, organized. Like what are some things that a customer can do to be a good customer for a loan officer's perspective? I would say like the best customers are just communicative. 
because you know as long as we have that we can you know we can overcome <laughs> do you work at all with the attorneys or i should say how do you work with the attorneys being that we have one on the podcast and, and we call this the real estate law podcast i do yeah for sure um all the time um i'm in communication with attorneys on both purchases and refis rory what's your dealings with loan officers usually like like do you have any thoughts on how from an attorney's perspective loan officers can be the most buttoned up or can can really help the process move along it's again just being communicative. Um, when you know when I work with a loan officer on a regular basis, we fall into a rhythm. We kind of know how the other one works, and we can anticipate what's going on. And you just you just communicate, you just be candid, um, and then we can, you know, ultimately we're trying to give the best experience to the borrower or the buyer um, so that they come back to us for future transactions. Um, so that's that's what we're working on. You know, without cutting corners and without you know without taking a solid view on title and all of that, we need to make sure we. To translate that to a good experience for the, the buyers and the borrowers. So Eric, tell us about some of the agents that you're working with, because as a loan officer, you work with all different types of real estate agents, right? Yeah, definitely. So um, a lot of the people who um, I've sort of naturally fallen into like partnerships with are people who are relatively new to the industry, um, people who are sort of in the same boat as me promoting on social media, just running in the similar circles, I guess. Mm-hmm. On social media, like what's that, what's that experience like? I mean, your whole life has been mostly social media, whereas much longer than half my life did not involve it. So, you know, some of us are forcing our ways to learn and others like yourself, it's probably natural. uh, I wouldn't say it's natural. I I kind of do have to, you know, force myself to do it a little bit, but you know, it's effective in, in connecting with people. Yeah. Are you on like, are you on TikTok finding people? No. Is that one? No. Okay. <laughs> Instagram though seems to be a pretty good spot to be chatting with folks, right? Yeah, definitely. Basically. Just because, right? That's where the buyers are. They're on yeah. social media, just like everybody else. How much are you doing on LinkedIn in communicating with people, like trying to find customers? I try to be on there once a week. Once a week. Yeah. Yep. You can really get sucked in and just kind of stare at it all day long. Okay, so let's talk again about like where you're headed with your business. Cause you know, when I asked the question, uh, you know, what are you working on next? You mentioned that you're growing your business. So where do you see things headed for yourself? Like what are you, what are your short-term goals and your longer-term goals? Yeah, I would say sort of the short-term goal is, you know, back to my own sort of personal life is I want my own multifamily. So that's definitely something on my radar for the next two years. Um, I would like to have a two unit, and, you know, I think a good goal would be potentially getting a, a second unit that's Section 8 approved and having that be rented out to a tenant with a voucher. I think that'd be a good way to give back. To give back. Rory, what do you think about that strategy for someone like Eric? Well, I mean, I'm talking to a loan officer, so he knows exactly kind of what's, what it entails to um, to to get the, the funding for that. But I think that's, I heard a couple great things in that plan. One is he's giving himself one or two years to, to make that happen. This is a particularly tight market. We have um, people with low inventory putting in a lot of offers for places. And if you're envi- investment heavy, um, it, it pays to have a little bit of patience in this market um, so that you can, you know, identify the good properties and jump on them quickly. So I think that's a good thing. And the section eight um, part of it, I mean, it's, um, both providing affordable housing for the community and it's a relatively safe investment for, for the, the landlord as well. So I think it's a, it's a win-win situation there. And um, yeah, I, I think it's a good plan. 
Were you looking to stay in the area or did you have a certain geography that you're targeting for um, your objectives? Uh, I would say uh, the goal is to stay in Boston, but if it's, you know, not possible, then I'm open to branching out. Since you do policies everywhere, you know, we're, we're all in Boston, like outside, we're in South Boston right now. Like, what are you seeing around the country? Like, is there anything that's just remarkably different from the people that you work with up here in other parts of the country without disparaging anyone? <laughs> One interesting thing on the Florida deal I did was the commitment date and the purchase and sale or the closing date were one and the same, which I, hmm. I thought that was nice as a loan officer because we didn't have to um, come up with commitment ahead of time necessarily. It was just sort of one date, one straight shot. Mm-hmm. Rory, would that simplify life for you if that was the case? Somewhat, although Ben pushing that to narrow that gap a little bit. So we may not be the, have uh, the commitment date and the uh, closing date be on the same day, but I've been narrowing it down to as little as three days um, with the different agreements we have. Um, so that's pretty common here, but there's no reason why we can't do, do that in Massachusetts either. So before we start to head to our final wrap up, Eric, what are some pointers that you might have for people who are listening to this? Not sure who to talk to as a loan officer, if they should just go online and start looking at rates, if they should work with somebody that they know, like what are some of the benefits with a personal relationship with someone like yourself if you want to start to go down the road of finding, you know, that first mortgage? Yeah. So as far as, you know, somebody is looking to, to start out their real estate, either investing career or their first home that they're going to own, um, I would say get sort of a clear picture of your goals, first and foremost, even before you talk to a loan officer. Um, and then, then we can sort of start to have those conversations. Right. So know what you're looking for, might not be fully baked, but at least have a framework for what you're looking to do. Exactly. Definitely. Right. All right, good. Well, why don't we start to head toward our final wrap up where we like to ask uh, the same questions of all of our guests. And, you know, the first one I I think is the most fun, which is if you had to speak on any one subject for 30 minutes with zero preparation, not, not real estate, you know, stuff, like what would you, what would you speak about? Yeah. So I said, you know, I was thinking about this question. I said my face, honestly, and you know, it's, I probably wouldn't talk about it publicly for 30 minutes, but that's sort of what I'm passionate about right now. You know, I think that's sort of orienting my life and it, it's been a powerful force for me. Did you say your face? My face. Oh, your faith. Oh, okay. My, <laughs> my faith. Yes. My faith. How do I follow that up? Like, <laughs> like his face that much. So your faith. Okay. Great. <laughs> That's a great answer. Okay. I'm like, I didn't expect it. Maybe he's a vain guy, or, but. <laughs> I, I saw the look on your face and I, I was like, wow. Must have been a really <laughs> comment. I didn't think you said faith. I didn't hear it clearly. So uh, yeah. So your faith, that, that's a, actually a, an excellent answer. Do you work with a lot of people like in uh, whatever faith-based community or uh, what your beliefs are? Is that a, a lead source for you? Is um, that where a lot of your network comes from? I wouldn't say it's a lead source, um, just more like sort of a centering, you know, centering myself kind of source, if you want to call it that. That's like a lot deeper than my answer, which (laughs) Rory knows exactly what my answer is, right? Let's hear it. Rory, do you want to say it? What? Do you know it? What, you could give a presentation on? 30 minutes, no preparation. Get on a stage. What could I talk about? I mean, there's a lot of things, but what do well, you... Well, anything. That's, I can't narrow that down. You can talk about anything. <laughs> <laughs> it's professional wrestling, Rory. 
Oh, that's you know that uh, you come on. You love watching it with me. That's oh, oh, that's unfortunate. No. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, so, Eric, tell us something that happened early on in your life or career that impacted the way that you work today. Yeah, I love this question. Uh, by the way, I would say um, sort of a, a lesson that was instilled in me is be humble. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's a valuable lesson, but, you know, being, you know, in my role, it's almost like you have to adapt, um, that lesson, you know, to fit, to fit my life. So, I mean, I think in real estate, you do have to promote yourself. Um, but I see that as almost like a little coaching opportunity. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, it's sort of in line with, with what I've been saying is, um, you have to, you have to lead and really it's just a leadership opportunity. Um, and that, you know, that can be a powerful force for like, for good. Yeah. Humility goes a long way in this industry and it's tough cause there's a lot of ego, <laughs> you know, but you know, being humble, I think cuts through. I think that your customers will probably see that and people that you're working with will see that you're genuine, honest if indeed, you know, those are the characteristics um, that you want to portray, they're important with anything you do. I mean, like in a sales environment or anything, you know, in in my full-time job, you know, I I work with digital advertising sales and and a team of, you know, 30 to 40 people. And honesty is so important. Humility is important, but, you know, you don't really see that with everybody. So finally, what are you watching, reading, or listening to these days? This is just one of those broad questions that, you know, everyone asks about what books are you reading and everyone says the same thing on real estate podcasts. And frankly, I don't have time to read, you know, so I do <laughs> audio books, but, you know, I thought, why not expand it? Like, you know, so just, is there, is there media that you're consuming today that you love? Um, yeah. So, I mean, we, we chatted a little bit about, about football before this and that's sort mm-hmm. of like what's in full swing as far as my media mm-hmm consumption nowadays i try to do the new york times skim i think that's that's been a really good source um yeah super quick super easy and gets the point do you get their new do you get the new york times newsletters emailed to you yep yeah there's a bunch of great ones um like on tech is one and i get like a daily one some business business wire i think is one but comes out but yeah man football season like you know we're recording this in sep- in september you know we'll probably put it out there in a couple of weeks and the season will be in full effect and i are you a patriots guy you're from or up here right yeah. patriots so, guy but i i root for my fantasy team as everyone does these days but yeah football you know we, we watch a ton of football i mean like you know and i love the fact that it's on you know mondays thursdays sundays I can't get into college though. Are you at BC? Actually, BC is a big college football program. So you probably, you're, are you a super fan? Back in the day, I was. Now, I mean, we just got a new coach recently. So, I mean, we kind of need to turn things around. Yeah. That Do you go to the game still? Yep. You do? I try yeah. to. Yeah. It's, um, I don't want to get negative emails from a lot of college football uh, fans or college football programs around here, but I, I got to say BC is probably one of the biggest, right, in the Northeast? if not the biggest? Yeah, probably. Um, but I mean, you go to other areas of the country and it's like, yeah. BC is, is nothing compared to the fan bases of, you know, Southern schools really. Right. Or, you know, ACC or anything like that. Well, great. Well, um, Eric, thank you so much for being here. Why don't you tell everybody how we can get a hold of you? Um, so you can get tons of business from this podcast <laughs> and lots of people can reach out to you uh, and initiate lots of loans. And you can coach them through the process very humbly. 
Wow, that was a really good summary of the entire yes. <laughs> podcast there. Um, I can be reached on social, just my name, Eric Safarian, as well as, you know, I guess you can connect my email to this, to this podcast somehow. Yeah, we'll put it in the show notes and everything. So we'll make sure everyone can, can get a hold of you. But uh, Eric Safarian, just, uh, you know, Google him, uh, look for the Eric from the Bank of England, realize that he is here in Massachusetts and can lend anywhere. So Eric, we appreciate it. Thank you so much for uh, being on the podcast. And, uh, you know, we look forward to staying in touch with you and, and, you know, wishing you continued success with everything you're doing. Yeah, thanks, guys. This was a blast and we should do it again. We will. Let's circle back in a couple more months and you can tell us about all the crazy deals you've done uh, this fall and, and uh, in the winter. Knock on wood. Let's hope. All right. There we go. Thanks, Eric. Bye. Yes. This has been the Real Estate Law Podcast. Because real estate is more than just pretty pictures and law goes well beyond the paperwork and courtroom arguments. We're powered by Next Home Title Town. Greater Boston's progressive real estate brokerage. More at nexthometitletown.com. And Urban Village Legal, Massachusetts Real Estate Council, serving savvy property owners, lenders, and investors. More at urbanvillagelegal.com. Today's conversation was not legal advice, but we hope you found it entertaining and informative. Discover more at realestatelawpodcast.com. Thank you for listening.